I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. These words continue where we left off last Sunday morning. They are the words of Jesus himself uh, from what is called in the gospel of uh, Luke, the Sermon on the Plain. Now hear the word of God. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The challenging Word of God for us, the people of God, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Uh, just a couple of words before I begin. Thank you for your generosity for this uh, tending venture this Thursday. Uh, I was hoping to raise $5,000 uh, by my contribution and yours. We're at 7000 right now. That's fabulous. So, um, you. You give yourself the applause for that and for your generosity. The campouts down on Lower Walnut Street, uh, you can come down and, and visit. Uh, bring me something warm if you do. Um, but actually, the temperature doesn't look like it's going to be all that bad that night. Um, there'll be a lot of people down there. It, it's a wonderful thing for Macon. Uh, so thank you in advance. Secondly, this Saturday, uh, Marcus uh, mentioned, uh, you know, our new preacher is going to be there uh, at this retreat. Uh, he also, I, th I think, let me add, your three old preachers are going to be there as well. And also to add that Tommy, Marcus, and I could not be more excited about the new person who is coming, um, but we're here till June. So um, we, we're getting a new person, uh, hallelujah. Um, 
but the three of us uh, get to be with you for a few more months before that official changeover takes place. We're praying for a good changeover and excited that it is on the way. Okay, now to preaching. Perhaps there is uh, no story uh, more um, familiar to us and no finer about reconciliation and forgiveness in all of the Bible than what is contained in the 45th chapter of Genesis. Joseph and the reconciliation with his 11 brothers. That story is doubly striking to me because it heals a rift within a family. Often family issues are the most intractable. Just a few weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal spent an entire page talking about a family squabble in Texas. I won't get into the details. I won't even name the names. I couldn't even figure out why they put it in there, except that the family was very rich. And don't we like to read about really, really rich people fighting over their money? So this story of reconciliation is, is quite uh, appealing to us. Briefly to review, Joseph as an adolescent was rather despised by his 11 older brothers. They plotted to kill him. That's a, a definition of despised, isn't it? At the last minute, instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery. Joseph is hauled off to Egypt. He goes through all kinds of highs and lows. He is accused of a sexual assault that he does not do. He is thrown into prison where it looks like his fate might be beheading. Um, but out of that, he eventually rises to be as you know, number two in power in all of Egypt. While the entire um, Middle East is going through a famine and his brothers and father in um, uh, Palestine are, are starving to death, they come down to Egypt to get grain. And there they are ushered, uh, Genesis chapter 45, into the presence of their brother. They come defenseless. They come begging for grain. Um, they come, it, it, the, the dynamics are the, the same as they were last week when I was talking to you about my cousin Dean. My cousin Dean came to me for help. He did not know that I was his first cousin. I knew who he was. He did not know who I was. These 11 brothers come to Joseph and, and they plead for mercy for the one that they sold into slavery, not knowing that he's their brother. But Joseph knows who they are. One wonders if Joseph over the years has not been plotting revenge. Think of all the years Joseph has to think about what he might do to his brothers if he ever got a hold of them again. Nicholas Gage, um, an investigative reporter for the New York Times, lived as a child with his sister 
in Greece post-World War II, during the Greek Civil War. He lived in a little village in northern Greece. The communists and the Greek partisans were in a bloody conflict, and little Nicholas Gage and his sister were saved from that disaster by their mother. But the only way that she could save them and get them to America was to sacrifice her own life. She died for the sake of her children. Nicholas Gage, as an adult, decided, I'm going to find out who killed my mother. And he went back to Greece as an adult and began piecing this story together. He writes this in a, a, a gripping book, which culminates with Nicholas Gage finding the person who killed his mother in 1947. And Nicholas Gage walks into his office with a pistol strapped underneath his coat to kill the man who killed his mother. You can check the book out. Because that's not what I'm preaching about today. Gee, don't you, wouldn't you like to know the rest of it? Well, you're just going to have to read the book. Um, this is the situation that Joseph is in. He has a chance. All right, I'll tell you, Gage couldn't go through with it. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't kill the man who killed his mother. Joseph comes to this kind of situation himself, and in the crucial moment, Joseph embraces his brothers. He wraps his arms around them. He cries. He forgives them. He claims them. He says, we're all good with each other. Genesis doesn't engage in any psychological analysis. Uh, we don't know anything about Joseph's internal battles, but Genesis does offer one clue. Joseph understands that everything that happened to him was a part of God's larger plan. And Joseph was able to set his tragedy into that context. He, he thought to himself, he understood it, somehow or other, God is involved in all of this. That's not always immediately apparent. And frankly, attributing uh, God's hand in all of it raises a whole new set of questions. But if, if I can sense... God's mysterious providential hand in the middle of my anger. If I can understand that even when I feel victimized, and Joseph was victimized, if I can feel in my distress uh, that, that somehow or other God is involved in this, that opens the path, I think, for reconciliation. Or as Jesus says it, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Your Father's merciful, 
you be merciful, and then you will be recognized as children of the Most High. Right about now you're saying, man, do I need another sermon about the golden rule? Do I need another sermon on loving my enemy? Well, yeah, we probably all do. I probably need a do-over for a conversation I had on the phone call last week um, to settle for what I thought was the third and final time an issue with a bill. Yeah, I probably need to do that one over again. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I probably need to do over again some rather uncharitable thoughts I had last week of some people. It wasn't any of you, but it could have been you. <laughs> Not because you're you, but because I'm me. Why don't we just practice kindness? I saw a bumper sticker about kindness last week. Well, that's a good thing, you say, isn't it? You know, put a bumper sticker on about kindness. Well, I'm not so sure this was a good bumper sticker. Here's what it said. Make America kind again. Now, I want to ask you, is, is that bumper sticker about kindness? No. That bumper sticker wasn't about kindness. That's a gotcha kind of a bumper sticker. That's, a, that's an in-your-face bumper sticker. Uh, we can't even talk about kindness kindly. If you're going to have a bumper sticker about kindness, get one that just says, be kind. It's not all that hard to do, but it is hard to do. It is, it is hard to practice what Jesus says, even in church. I was, uh, I was in an, uh, uh, I had an Uber ride last week. Uh, my son uh, took me to a basketball game up in, in Bloomington, Indiana. We were up in Bloomington and back for a 36-hour trip. So much fun. I, I, just, I just loved it. But we had an hour Uber ride from Indianapolis to Bloomington. So the guy who's uh, riding, uh, he's quite a chatty fella, and then he asked the fateful question to me, what do, you, what do you do? And once I said I'm a Methodist preacher, that was all, it was all over after that. Um, <laughs> he, he began saying, well, I'm, I, I used to be a Baptist preacher. I was a Baptist preacher, he said, for, for 19 years, and uh, then I got divorced, and that ended my ministry, and now I'm in construction, and I drive this Uber car uh, part-time, and, and he, he went, the church wouldn't have him anymore after he was uh, divorced, and then he got remarried, and he'd had such a bad feeling about the church, but he, he still loved the church, and he wanted to go back to church, so he said, I'll take, I'll take a small step. He found a little country church. Isn't, isn't this interesting what you can find just in an Uber? I mean, <laughs> he finds this little country church because he's got an hour. He's got plenty of time to spin this story out. Um, seven people and a preacher. This is a good safe way for him to get back into church. And he's going week after week and he's singing hymns with them. He likes what the preacher says. But at some point they found out he was on his second marriage. 
And the preacher pulled him aside one week and said to him, you know, son, we're, we're glad you're coming to church, but we just want you to know that you'll never be able to be a full part of our church. You're on your second marriage, and, and you, you can attend, but you really can't be a full part of us. And I began thinking to myself, I think that explains why there are only seven other people in that church. And in fact, I wondered, how did they find seven perfect people to be in that church that they would not open their arms to this man who was trying to put his toe back into the water again? Desmond Tutu died not long ago. To know his story and to to read the obituaries about this amazing, remarkable uh, bishop of South Africa, archbishop. They put him in charge of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee to bring people back together after the horrible, horrible racism and apartheid of South Africa. And Tutu led that process to try to get uh, perpetrators and victims together in the same room to tell their stories and to learn how to love one another again. And it was largely successful. Tutu said about the process, we can only be human together. We can only be human together. And, and so I think, you know, uh, this sermon started in Egypt in the northernmost part of Africa, and now I've made it all the way to South Africa, down in the south, and the same message, reconcile. Love your enemy. Do good to those who have done bad to you. The theme of this sermon, however, is not try harder. That's destined to failure. The theme of this sermon, I hope, is that our reconciliation is directly related to how we understand God to love us. And here are the the nine key words from Jesus. Well, I say these are key. These have been key to me this week. They've been stunning. I've overlooked them, I guess, in the past. Jesus says this about God. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Does does that blow you away as much as it did me? Have you heard that verse before? Nine words. He is kind. He, God, God is kind to the ungrateful. I'm ungrateful. God is kind to the wicked. Really? That includes me too. He is kind to us. Those are red letter words. Uh, 
That's a memory verse. Luke 9, 36. Tape that one to your mirrors. I was talking to somebody this morning. Maybe that's the verse I need tattooed on my forearm. Luke 9, 36. I'm all for John 3, 16. Um, but what's wrong with Luke 9, 36? He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. When you get my age, you begin asking, I wonder what all my preaching added up to over the years. Larry Bowman, one of my preaching professors at Candler, said well over 40 years ago, he said, you know, every preacher really only has one sermon. That was a very intriguing thought. I'd been a preacher for a year. I had 50 sermons by that point. What did he mean every preacher only has one sermon? What he meant was that no matter what you preach from the pulpit, eventually you're going to come back, preacher, to the same important point. You're going to find different ways to say it, but little by little over the years, you're going to keep circling back around and you're going to get to that same point over and over again. My prayer is, as I think of, of these retirement years and 40 years of preaching, that if anybody ever went up into my attic, and I pray they don't do this, and sift through 40 years of my sermons, what a dreary task that would be, that maybe they might find that the theme that I eventually tried to circle back around to again and again is contained in Luke 9, 36. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That theme is the golden thread that runs from the Garden of Eden through the cross and all the way to the New Jerusalem. And so I pray that we might grasp it and practice it, that you and I might be recognized as children of the Most High. Amen.